the light. Anyway, I guess I don't need my mask for this. You know, my wife and I went to a restaurant uh, recently, uh, just a few people there, and uh, so I asked the uh, waiter as she was uh, serving us, do I have to wear my mask for dinner? And she looked at me and then she chuckled. <laughs> but it does remind us that uh, we're in a difficult time. And uh, so the topic I have chosen for today is, what is so special about the Bible? I want to explore that. And because we all have a little more time to read, I want to encourage you to take a little extra time with God's Word. I'd like to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege we have of having your Word to discover who you are and who we are, to learn about our needs and how God's Word can direct us to the answer. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what's so special about the Bible? You may be new to the Christian faith or new to reading God's Word or reading the Bible, or you may be a seasoned scholar, student of God's Word, and you've studied and read it for years. I hope I can encourage both of you to explore and keep growing in God's Word. First, I want us to look at some of the unique characteristics of the Bible. The Bible is not like any other book, although there are similarities. Normally, you start reading a book at the beginning, and uh, then you work your way through to the end. But the Bible is more like, uh, well, like a small library of books. And uh, you see the, the books on top, and uh, the, the top shelf, the top three shelves are about the Old Testament, and, and the bottom shelf is about the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, you have the various divisions of history, the law. The first five books were written by Moses. Then we have history of the kings and of the nation and the poetry, the writings of David, the Psalms. And then the prophets and the preachers. At the bottom shelf is the New Testament, the Gospels, the Book of Acts, the letters that were written by the disciples to the new churches that were spreading all over the world. And finally, the last book, the book of Revelation. The Old Testament has 39 books, and the New Testament has 27. So, if you have a Bible, you actually have a library of 66 books. And you can brag to your friends, I have a library, a bookcase full of books. The Bible is a book for the whole world. Um, it's not like other religious books. Most religious books are written by one individual in a single language, bound in a culture, so that people have to learn that language to really to read the writings, their sacred writings. The Bible, on the other hand, was written 
in three different languages on three different continents by 40 different human authors. They were priests, they were farmers, they were prophets, they were kings and civil servants. And that the Bible makes any kind of sense at all is in itself quite miraculous. But that's because it was guided and inspired by God himself. Here's what God said about the scriptures. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Someone described the Bible as God's love letter to the world. While the Bible contains some scientific information, it's basically not a book on science. It does deal with some political issues. By example, gives ex examples of good and bad politics and good and bad leadership. If we remember that the central figure of the Bible is Jesus, it will always help us to understand where the Bible is going with that. I want us to look at four P's concerning the Bible. It's popularity, it's preservation, the power of God's Word, and the practical side of the Bible. So let's look first at the popularity of the Bible. The Bible is by far the most popular book that's ever been produced. It's estimated that there are five billion copies of the Bible in print. That's beside the electronic versions that are multiplying exponentially today. By comparison, the Quran has about 800 million copies. A hundred million copies of the Bible are produced every year. There are 7,353 languages in the world of which now 3,384 languages have some portion of the Bible. Still 2,200 languages to go, and the Wycliffe Bible translators have set a goal that in the next 15 years, by 2025, they want to have some portion of God's Word in all the languages of the world. Secondly, the Bible has been preserved through the ages. Many attempts through history have been made, both by religious leaders as well as, as terrorists who wanted to destroy God's word. It is outlawed in many countries today, which to me is a very curious thing. Why would you want to outlaw a book? It only makes people more curious. We have a friend who came from the Soviet Union about the time that uh, the country was breaking up. And uh, she told a story of riding on the train one day and she saw a lady reading a book. She had no idea what the book was, but she was attracted to that book. She finally went, asked the lady, what are you reading? She said, it's the Bible. And Natasha said, I have to get one of those. 
And in the process, she and her husband went to Rome, where they met the Baptist missionary, and she accepted Christ. Then they came to Canada, to our community, and they became our friends. Now, of course, the electronic versions of the Bible are even more difficult to stop. But the Bible has been preserved accurately for many, many thousands of years. There's, of course, always the critic say the Bible is full of contradictions and errors. And that's easy to say, especially if you don't know much about it. And others say, well, it's old, it's not relevant anymore. And the Gospels are full of contradictions. Why would you have four different stories? A number of years ago, I borrowed a book from the library um, written by Dr. Werner Keller, a German lawyer, scientist, a journalist who escaped Hitler's executioners. After the war, he devoted himself to writing and research, and he wondered what was all the excitement in the Middle East about archaeology, and so he had to go find out for himself. The result of his research was a book called The Bible as History. The publisher said this about the book, in view of what it tells, not even the most skeptical can any longer regard the Bible as a poetic recounting of ancient folklore. The Bible is history in the real sense of the word. But here's what Werner Keller said himself. No book in the world history of mankind has had such revolutionary influence has so decisively affected the development of the Western world or had such wide effect worldwide as the book of books, the Bible. Today, after 2,000 years, it has been translated into many languages and dialects and gives no sign of having exhausted. This was written in 1950. In gathering together and working over the material for this book, which I am in no way claimed to be complete, it seemed to me that the time had come to share with those who read their Bibles and those who do not with churchmen and agnostics, the exciting discoveries which have resulted from a careful examination of the combined results of scientific investigation along many different lines in view of the overwhelming mass of authentic and well-attested evidence now available, as I thought of the skeptical criticism from which the 18th century onward would fain have demolished the Bible altogether, there kept hammering in my brain this one sentence, the Bible is right after all. Isn't that good? coming from somebody who is not necessarily a believer. The Bible as history is, is, uh, is, is a reliable source. What it says about history is reliable. Dr. Craig Evans is currently a professor of Christian ethics 
at the Houston Baptist Seminary. He used to teach at Trinity Western, Axe Seminaries, where Pastor John attended and graduated. I don't know if he ever took courses by him, but he has done a lot of research on this topic, has published 70 books, and uh, one of them, The Bible and You. I want to read just uh, a very short uh, few sentences from what he says. Reliability of the ancient manuscripts. By ancient manuscripts, we mean the original writings or the, the oldest writings can be found that have been preserved. In recent years, some skeptics have asserted that the old manuscripts on which our modern Bible translators are based are riddled with errors and are completely unreliable. According to those skeptics, we really don't know what the original writers of the book of the Bible wrote. Can we trust the manuscripts on which the Bible is based? This skepticism, says the author, however, has fallen on hard times. Thanks to the Dead Sea Scrolls, we now have portions, in some cases, almost entire texts, of 38 of the 39 books of the Old Testament, and that we find, it, what we find is that the text is the same as the text in which later manuscripts that the Bible translators for centuries relied upon. The Dead Sea Scrolls take us a thousand years closer to the originals. And then he ends with this. The New Testament manuscripts are old, numerous and reliable, there is no literature from antiquity that rivals this remarkable record of preservation. Well, we could go on for a long time. I love, I love the study of, of this. And one of the reasons I'm sharing it with you, I want you to approach the Bible with confidence and courage. And, and when people and critics question it, you can still believe. Well, the critics come and go. <clears throat> Getting a little too excited here. <clears throat> the critics come and go, but the Bible remains and grows. John Clifford penned uh, this nice little poem. Last eve, I passed beside the blacksmith's door and heard the anvil ring the vesper chime. When looking in, I saw upon the floor the old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils you had, said I, to wear and batter all those hammers so? Just one, said he, then said with a twinkling eye, the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. And so I thought, the anvil of God's word for ages, skeptics, blows have beat upon, yet through the noise of falling blows was heard, the anvil is unharmed, the hammers gone. Thirdly, the power of God's word to change lives. We read in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God 
is living and active. And then it can speak to the deepest needs of people and lead us to God. <clears throat> I was on a flight to Chicago some years ago when I was still traveling. And the man who was going to sit beside me reached out his hand immediately and said, my name is, what's your name, and what do you do? And I always struggled a little bit to tell him I'm a preacher. And anyway, I did. I said, I'm a pastor. Oh, good, he said. Question number two, why do you believe in the resurrection? And I gave him two or three answers. He said, there's one more. I said, what's that? He said, the change in the disciples. You cannot argue against the change that the Bible brings to people. I remember so clearly the change that happened to me when I first came to Jesus as a teenager. And I have sought to devour God's word over the years. Jesus told or met a man by the name of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. He was a crook who deceived his people, stole money from them as a tax collector, and everybody hated him. But he offered, when Jesus met him, he offered to make restitution. He confessed, he repented, and Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to your house. Ravi Zacharias, one of my favorite teachers, died only weeks ago, published his latest book with his associate, Abdu Murray, in 2019. It's titled, Seeing Jesus from the East. In the book, Ravi tells about visiting the infamous Angola prison in Louisiana. And I just want to read that short story for you, because it's such a good example. <clears throat> I had the privilege of speaking at the famed Angola prison a few times. There are about 6,000 prisoners incarcerated there, more than 80% of whom are imprisoned for life without parole. The first person I visited, the first time I visited, a group of prisoners led in worship. At the end of the service, I asked the worship leader, if you don't mind my asking, are you in here for life as well? He said, yes, sir. How does it make you feel that you will never get out of this place? I asked because he seemed so at peace as he led the worship songs. I knew the life of Christ was in him. He said, sir, if you knew the kind of man I was before I got here and why I was put here, you would find out that this is the first time in my life that I am really free. Before I got here, I was a prisoner to hate. My parents think because they are not here in Angola that they are free. Actually, they are in a prison of their own making. I am free because of Jesus. Number four, the practical 
side of the Bible as it speaks to us and to our needs. The teachings of Jesus are not so difficult to understand. I was speaking to a man just this morning and uh, well he said you know it's all very old material and uh, and I said well if we read if we read about Jesus it's usually pretty easy to understand. Take a verse like uh, Jesus said Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We're struggling with this pandemic. And some of you are going through a difficult time because of aging and health and other things that just complicate things. How about this one? Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The Acts of the Apostles inspires us to continue sharing the good news. Romans that Pastor John has been teaching us is deep. It goes to the very essential parts of the gospel, especially that righteous shall, the righteous shall live by faith. The pastoral epistles, the letters are filled with practical lessons for life, family, and church and church leaders. And of course, the Psalms are always an encouragement. Psalm 23, how many times do we go there? The Lord is my shepherd. <clears throat> the Lord is my shepherd. What a great assurance. I don't need anything else, said the Psalmist. And even though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death. I don't have to fear. Hebrews explains the Old Testament to a great extent. So very often the Bible is its own commentary and if you will just read uh, you will find that very quickly. The last book of the Bible, Revelation, to me has always been a very mysterious book, very challenging, and of course not not everybody agrees what it all means, but it's full of hope and the future for, for those who follow Christ is wonderful. I still have much to learn, and I want to learn, and I read every day. I carry a small pack of verses that uh, I, I take with me whenever I go for a walk or whatever. Anyway... I guess I didn't put it out here. But uh, the very first verse, Nahum chapter 1, verse 7 in my pack, I shared with my optometrist last week. God is good. He is a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. And for our time today, that is so good. Now in conclusion, I want to share just a few practical things about how to read God's Word. So choose an easy-to-read translation. If you're not familiar, start with something like the story, the main stories of the Bible. As a new Christian in my teens, I started with the Bible storybook, and I got to know the heroes, 
<coughs> Excuse me. It's okay. This is one of the benefits of getting old. So enjoy. Good. Doesn't bother me, I hope it doesn't bother you. I got to know the main characters of the Bible. Abraham, Moses, Daniel. Daniel became my great hero. Peter and Paul. Well, I almost said Peter, Paul, and Mary, but they'd be pretty good too, I guess. And if you're not familiar, start reading in the New Testament, uh, maybe the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of John. If you've been a longer time Christian, get to a, get a study Bible. Dig deeper. It's like diamond mining. You can find a few on the surface, but boy, the good ones are down deep. Read different translations. I just finished reading the chronological Bible. That puts everything in a historical setting. There are many good resources, lots of good available for computers, good stuff on the internet. But like the internet, there's also a lot of bad stuff there. And we need to watch the, hear, the, the many voices that we listen to. <coughs> so my advice is stay close to the church and to your pastor. <clears throat> oh boy. I'm almost done. R.C. Sproul, a recent well-known Bible teacher. I spoke to him one time. I wanted him to come and be our speaker at our national celebration. He wrote something before he while he was still active before he passed away, that he was deeply immersed in a group that uh, specialized in a lot of prophecies. And he said after 40 or 50 false prophecies with specific dates and details that were never came true, he said, I've decided to stick with the Bible, stick with God's word. It will not lead us astray. So when you read and study, start with a big picture. A, a book at a time, a book of a, in the New Testament. Don't go cherry picking throughout because you can put things together and get the whole wrong message. Who was the author? Why was this book written and to whom? And then these three questions in this order. What does it say? Two, what did it mean to those to whom it was addressed? And three, what lessons can I apply for my life? We get in trouble if we start with number three. The New Testament explains much of the Old Testament. And remember that Jesus is the center and theme and story and person of the Bible. We need all the help we can get living in this world. And the Bible is the greatest resource we could have. So I encourage you to read, to study, and to make part of your life what you learn. When Billy Graham was starting out in ministry, he had a good friend by the name of Charles Templeton. 
Templin was very bright. He was believed to be a better speaker than Billy. But he went to a liberal theology, theological school, and learned that there were lots of contradictions in the Bible that weren't answered. And so the Bible really wasn't reliable. And, he, and Charles was encouraging his friend Billy to come and study with him. And so Billy struggled. And some people met with him, helped him, encouraged him. And so what Billy decided to do, he couldn't have find all the answers to Charles' questions. But he said, when I decided to take God's word by faith, the Bible became in my hand a flame of fire that has never died. There is a great element of truth. We will never understand all of it. Billy also said some years later, it's not the, it's not the things I don't understand that I have trouble with. It's the parts I understand very well that give me trouble. And I think he's right. So I hope this few lessons can encourage you to keep growing, keep digging, keep learning. Because God is at work. He's at work in your life as you read his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you that we can trust it as a message from you. In Jesus' name, amen.